Ladies and gentlefolk, this is a special announcement for all passengers waiting in the terminal. Please be advised that the upcoming podcast will contain spoilers for Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Thank you for flying, Peril Air. Welcome to Diabolical, a show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, aka The Cinemaster, and this week's film is blockbuster sequel, Die Hard 2. So, dear listeners, reminisce about Christmas's past, and then throw yourselves into another violent struggle. Let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as usual, are my friends and fellow podcasters in their guise as the panel of peril. So, my fellow conspirators, please tell us, what was your worst flight experience? Hello, Craig here. I haven't been on many flights, in honesty. You know, my worst flight experience was some mild turbulence. Oh, I didn't like it. Oh, dear. <laughs> For some hard turbulence. I oh, felt very dear. queasy, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Nearly spilt your white wine spritzer. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. My worst flight experience was same flight, but taking off. Oh, I felt very queasy. And landing. <laughs> oh, I felt very queasy, listeners. <laughs> right, Gaz. I'm Gaz. Um, not really had any bad flight experiences. The only thing I could think of was the first time I flew to Australia to see my brother Mark and sister-in-law Belinda flying into Singapore for a changeover. I think there was quite a lot of lightning visible outside the window, which was quite weird. Hey. Slightly yeah. scary, but not too bad. That's about it. Ben? Well, you're going to want to strap yourself in for this one because my worst flight experience is also probably my best. So I was in Texas for work and the night before we'd been out for a farewell meal and I ended up with about 14 car sales executives going line dancing. (laughs) Ended up getting to bed like, I don't know, it must have been about two or three in the morning. And then my flight was at, I think, eight. So we're up really early, really hungover, make it like after all, you know, the, the usual panic, but get on there. And then we're just sitting on the tarmac for ages. And they announced that we're waiting for one passenger and we're all sitting there and we're sitting there and they're saying, right, the passenger is in the airport. We've located him. Please be patient. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, the flight attendants bring on this guy and he was the, like the dictionary definition of a redneck. Like he had the mullet, <laughs> he had the calf, he had some kind of weird t-shirt on. He had his Bluetooth headset in his in his ear and he's looking around everywhere as he's getting led to his seat and he's going wow just like the movies anyway this guy sits down and the flight attendants leave him and then he just starts to introduce himself to everyone in his vicinity <laughs> hi i'm bj hi i'm bj good to meet you hi <laughs> and everybody's like i don't want to talk to you yeah who is this guy anyway th- throughout the flight it turns out it's his first time flying He's telling everyone, it's his first time leaving the country. He's telling everyone how he's going to the Philippines to pick up his bride that he met online. Oh my God. (laughs) He's like, I'm I'm so proud of that woman. I'm so damn proud of that woman. I've had wives in America. They were no good. (laughs) He's telling his life story to everyone who will hear it. Right. That's it. I love his story. Anyway. That's not even finished yet. Oh my God. Halfway through the flight, I noticed he's just staring at the map. And it's a long flight between America and Japan. He's just yeah. staring at his map screen. I lean over and go, but BJ, you know you can watch movies 
And he's still got his Bluetooth headset in, by the way. I go, mm. you know, you can watch movies on there. And he goes, uh, I'm okay. And he just proceeds to sit there staring. When he gets a chance to talk, he'll talk, but otherwise he'll just <laughs> stare ahead at the map and watch the map for eight hours. <laughs> it was wild. Anyway, he has to change planes in Tokyo. I see him get off the plane. He looks at the airport in Tokyo and he just like stops. He's like, mouth open, slack jawed. And I'm, <laughs> I can, I'm leaving and I turn and I see him. I go, oh no. I go, BJ, do you know where you're going? He's like, no, like actually scared <laughs> of what's around him. So then instead of going to leave and leave the airport, pick up a bag, I had to take him to his next flight. <laughs> As I'm leaving him, I go, BJ, have you got money to get snacks on? Because you're going to be here for like three hours. He's like, no. Oh, BJ, that's a good my wallet. Give BJ some money to get some food. He's going, God bless you. God bless you. Like, oh, good luck, BJ. See you later. How old is BJ? How old is he? He was in his late 40s, early 50s. Had to be. Yeah. wonder if BJ's listening now. God bless you, BJ. I hope you found your wife, BJ. Yeah, I would like to dedicate this episode to uh, BJ, actually, because that is one. I think that's the best opening story we've ever had, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> And we've had some corkers in the past as well, I might add, but that's uh, that's going to take some beating. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. As for me, I'd probably say it was being above some country that was involved in some long armed struggle and i was on a particular aircraft and that aircraft had to make a fairly quick descent should we say which was a bit unnerving i can only be as vague as that i'm afraid are you fucking breaching national security here with this story well yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> was it when you were filming expendables 4 <laughs> Holding at the outer marker with a fuel tank and wit drier than a martini, Yeah or Mare prepares for an emergency landing of opinions about the films of 1990. So, dear chaps, can I have a Yeah or Mare for the following films? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah. But not because of the film itself, more of what it evokes for me. Yes, uh, I concur on that, those points exactly. Meh, I watched it recently, it's shit. Meh. I also watched it recently <laughs> and I thought it was good. Uh, boring. <laughs> but Splinter makes a funny. <laughs> that puppet's so great, that Splinter puppet. <laughs> Rocky Five. Meh. 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 Big man. Yeah. It's the only bad yeah. Rocky film. Yeah, yeah it is bloody awful, isn't it? I'm glad we mm. all agree on that. That's really good. I thought yeah. there might be one, maybe two, that would be uh, squealing at that one. I've got a lot of time for Rocky, but not five. Oh, no. No. Oh, no siree. Tremors. Yeah. 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 It's a big favourite now. Yes. Excellent film. Yeah. Do you know that's up to like seven or eight in the series yeah. now? Yeah. I saw number two. Oh my god! It. I think the latest one's called Shrieker Island, and it's got John Hedder from Napoleon Dynamite in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the mighty have fallen! Hedder or the Tremors series? Uh, the Tremors series. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Miller's Crossing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Never seen it. Ah, oh, it's one of the best oh, movies. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah. 
certainly is. And last but not least, arachnophobia. Yeah. Yeah. Also a lot of fun. Never seen it. Never seen it. Yeah, I had a sister and mum who were terrified of spiders. Wouldn't have been on in our house. Exactly. You should have forced them to watch it. Should have locked the door (laughs) and then sellotaped them to the chairs. Any therapist will tell you that. I was always the one had to deal with all that. So (laughs) no, big no. (laughs) They'd freeze and just drop like plates on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I recommend you uh, should definitely give it a watch. Now you're you're old enough and. uh, Living in a house that you pay the mortgage of. I've been pubic for about 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> we have already cast our diabolical minds over 1990 films, Nightbreed, episode 60, and of course, Christmas classic, Home Alone, episode 26. Just in case you have a couple of extra hours to spare. Following the wake of the hugely successful genre-defining original Die Hard, Die Hard 2 stars Bruce Willis as unrelenting cop John McClane, who is yet again caught up in another fine mess at Christmas. This time set at Dulles Airport, where ruthless ex-army officer Colonel Stewart, played by William Sadler, holds the aircraft in the sky hostage unless his demand to let international drug dealer General Esperanza land safely at the airport and into his custody. Die Hard 2 had a budget of around $70 million and grossed over $240 million worldwide. It received mixed reviews from critics with praise for its action sequences, but criticisms for some of the plot. However, Roger Ebert said, Die Hard 2 is as unlikely as the Bond pictures and as much fun. Any criticism has not affected its legacy as a solid action film in the Die Hard series contributing to the franchise's enduring popularity and a film I return to regularly. But what did the rest of the gang think? Craig, did this film have you saying, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, or thinking that you were the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time? Which one's the good one? (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) Take your pick. (laughs) Well... I've always been a fan of Die Hard 2. I think it's a really stupid but really fun sequel. Whoever saw the source material and thought, oh, this would make a good Die Hard sequel, I applaud them because they were very right. I think it's a perfect follow-up to the first one. Mm. I really love Die Hard with a Vengeance as well. I think that's Mm. superior in every way. Mm. But Die Hard 2, I have a real soft spot for it. Mm. It holds a special place for me. People often argue about, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? But I, I always think Die Hard 2... Feels very festive, possibly because of all the snow. I I mean, you've quoted that film more than any other, I think. It's crazy. I was trying not to laugh while Cinemaster was doing his intro there because I was looking (laughs) at some of the quotes I've written down and just thinking how funny they are. There's loads. Yeah, it's fun and it has a really cool twist that I hadn't seen in anything before or possibly since. Yeah. And a great cast of heroes and villains. Like some of the people in the cast just astounding people who some of them were not you know huge stars at the time and went on to be but even down to people like dennis franz yeah you know colmini yeah flying the plane mm. yeah yeah john leguizamo shows up robert patrick robert patrick of course yeah 
who has uh-huh. one of my favorite lines, <laughs> which I think yeah. is probably the one that I, <laughs> yeah. I refer to the most. Yeah. And then people I've never really seen in anything else, like some of my favorite people in this are the air traffic control guys, like Barnes. I just love Barnes. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. No. He's like, if Sam Jackson's character in Jurassic Park had been given a bigger role, like the tech guy who mm. understands the tech of the operation that nobody else kind of gets. Mm. It's not an overplayed role in action movies in the way that he has it. Sometimes you get like the cool tech sidekick. I think they even do it in Die Hard 4. They give McLean Justin Long and he's this cool hacker kid. But Barnes, he's not cool at all. He's just mm. some nerd who works in air traffic control. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was great. Really enjoyed it. Fabulous. Gaz, what are your thoughts on Die Hard 2? It's a lot better than I remembered it the last time I watched it, probably over 10 years ago, and I distinctly mm. remember not racing it at all. But I really enjoyed it this time. Mm. Barrels along quite nicely. Again, just mm. like Die Hard 1, I saw the runtime being 2 hours 10, and I was like, fucking hell, why is it so long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it flew by, ironically enough. <laughs> oh. Very nice. Some great sequences in the luggage transportation area where McLean is tracking yeah. mm. the two goons. That's really good. Reminded me of Monsters mm. Inc. with the, the doors being transported. Oh, uh, yeah. Some great one-liners, which obviously we're going to get to later. Yeah. And most importantly of all, McLean's jumper looks absolutely <sighs> wonderful. I would love to wear yeah. a jumper. Let me tell you. I was thinking the same thing <laughs> with that collar. Yeah, it's a great yeah. sweater. <laughs> so you liked it, but especially the jumper. Yes, I would recommend the jumper to everybody for the festive season. <laughs> Stay warm, folks. Stay warm. <laughs> Stay away from airports. <laughs> ben. So of the first three in the series, because I haven't seen beyond that, this is the one yeah. I've seen the least. And I went into it mm-hmm. not remembering too much about it other than it was set in an airport. So my expectations were low because, you know, how do you live up to the high watermark set by the first one? But I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> it's got the great lines, great action sequences. Bruce Willis is just magnetic as always. Yeah. And I'm not sure it quite reaches the high watermark of the first one, but it's damn close. So overall, I give it an, if you're craving some Christmas action and you've already seen Die Hard, then this is a no-brainer <laughs> out of five. If I could level one criticism at it, it's that it hasn't aged terribly well. It's chock full of bang up to date 1990 references. <laughs> like John trying to figure out how faxes work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, John, come in the 90s. It's a fax machine. <laughs> it's like in Tomorrow Never Dies, how they're constantly going on about GPS and explaining that it's a right. global positioning system over and over again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They obviously recognise the first as a classic in this, so they've got Al still there, does his little cameo and stuff like that. fucking so shit. Wheeling him out. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Al. (laughs) (laughs) And he's eating Twinkies as well. (laughs) Yeah. Who do I know at LAPD headquarters who's an expert in both fax machine and fingerprinting? Oh, it's, yeah. it's Powell. I'll send yeah. it to my old buddy Powell. <laughs> <laughs> I like that aspect of it. And then one of the best elements that works for me in it that really lifts it up a little bit, like Ben said, probably not quite to the heights of the first. 
I love the chemistry between William Atherton and Bonnie Bedelia yeah. on the plane. Amazing, yeah. He is such a creep. Oh, he's the best creep in Hollywood. He's so, so good. And there's that, but then, like you say, Dennis Franz is great. William Sadler is brilliant. John Amos. Yeah. It's just stacked full of people. Yeah. You know, when I read how much the budget was for this, I was like, wow, $70 million. That's a lot of money for the time, 33 years ago. I don't know what that'd be adjusted for inflation now, probably getting closer to $200 million, I guess. $70 million adjusted today is roughly $164 million. Mm, that's not to be sniffed at. That's If somebody said they were spending that much on an action flick now, you'd be like, oh, they're either going to waste it all on CGI or they're going to waste it on spending it on actors' wages, I guess. I'd spend it all on catering. Namely, quiche. Ooh. A selection yeah. thereof. $60 million on quiche. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to favourite sequences then. And we shall go with Ben first. Just two words for mine. Nude Tai Chi. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Surely his dick flops about. <laughs> R- really impractical. Well, get up and give it a go. You might like it. The ending of that sequence is fucking hilarious when he does the James Bond shoot, but with the remote control at the Amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a great introduction to him. He's a fantastic bad guy, to be fair. He is. He's brilliant. Oh, he's, yeah, he's epic, but he's just so ruthless. Yeah. That's probably my first. I've got definitely a Christmas film. Then underneath, I've got Naked Tai Chi. Why? Why not? (laughs) Shows he's evil because he's naked. Yeah. Only people who are evil (laughs) do Naked Tai Chi. (laughs) Cinematic shorthand. (laughs) I also love it when Bruce Willis launches himself off the bike at the guy. That he's been following, he's on the little kid's bike. Oh, yeah. Just before he makes it to the guy, he rings the bell. Ding, ding. And, dies off the <laughs> and the guy turns around as well, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> Both excellent, excellent clips, yeah. Gaz? I don't think this really strays over into favourite lines because I'm making fun. It's the final scene. McLean is just wandering around, bellowing, Holly! Holly, yeah. Holly, Holly. Like Rocky. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. crazy over and over again. Yeah. And then the news reporter says, film them, film them when they're necking. And then she's actually like, oh no, don't. And she's like really proud of herself <laughs> deciding against it. And then the cop tears up his parking ticket and goes, it's Christmas. <laughs> and it's like this is the cheesiest ending I think we've yeah. gone with, and it's glorious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's his name? Old Marvin turning up in the golf cart as well. Oh, damn hell if they're cleaning this up. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. Craig. So mine I've touched on a bit already, but from the point after he beats the guys in the baggage handling and has refused assistance from the police. So it starts with him going out to a body bag and Taking the guy's prints and the guy's got rigor mortis <laughs> and he just leaves his fingers up. Yeah. And then the whole exchange with with Al Powell about getting the prints done. And and it's one of my favorite lines in the sequence, but I just love it as a sequence anyway, which is uh where the the woman on airport reception asks him if he's free for a date, shows her his wedding ring and he says, Yeah, uh, just the facts, ma'am. 
Just a flex. You old smoothie. Yeah, it's a genuinely clever pun. That's the one you have quoted for the past 30 odd years. Yeah, what I like about it as a sequence, you know, beyond the line, is it shows that McLean is a good detective, which they do quite a bit in the third one as well. Yeah. There's another thing in the lead up to him fighting those guys in the baggage handling is that there's airport security and cops all around. Yeah. None of them pick up on what's going on. And he sees stuff. He's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. You know, he's a, he's just sitting there observing stuff. Yeah. yeah it's good. That, yeah. As for me, uh, it's just the way that particular sequence makes me feel. And it still does. It's still horrible, which is uh, Windsor 114. Yeah. And the whole shenanigans around that. And it's just the way the tone is lowered, not just the sea level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a change, the whole thing. Yeah. It's obvious what's going to happen, but then it's the, the fireball and the, pe- the people inside. And it's like, it's still gripping now. Yeah. Even some of Stuart's men seem to question that, don't they? Like, oh, yeah. They, they look like, what, are you really doing this? And he yep. plays it so well, you know, such a, Ice cold. It's weird because I've seen that pilot and other things, so maybe he didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Colmini. And his yeah. English accent is excellent. Where the devil have you been? <laughs> <laughs> the English stuff in this is so fucking stupid. Oh, it's pure like American 90s take on the UK, isn't it? Yeah. Or oh, the uh, flight attendant saying to the, the woman, <laughs> don't worry, love, we're just like British Rail. We'll get you there in the end. Fuck off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, British Rail has just been privatised, love, so uh, you don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> gas, favourite line, please. If you got gas, tell us. I think pretty much everything I've written down has already been mentioned, apart from this one. I have no context written down, so I can't remember why he says it. But I'm assuming it's a strange context. The Black Army guy, who turns out to be a traitor. Major Grant. Yeah. Says, we're here to jerk off that cocksucker until he takes off. (laughs) Just a a strange turn of phrase. That's what they were planning to do on the flight after the old rendezvous. (laughs) Paints a wonderful picture with words, that, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) does. does. Poetic in its own way. Yeah. Craig. My very favourite, and it makes absolutely no fucking sense, and this is why I love it. I think he says it to, yeah, he says it to Dennis Franz McLean. He says, uh, what sets off the metal detectors first? The lead in your ass or the <laughs> shit in your brains? <laughs> well, detective, <laughs> shit doesn't set off the metal detectors. So. <laughs> ben? Craig mentioned the one I had as a f- favourite. The next one is... When McLean's talking to the cop that's just towed away his car, he says, come on, man, it's Christmas. And the cop says, so ask Santa to get you another car. (laughs) (laughs) I like the bit where he just, Esperanza sticks his head out the door and goes, freedom. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Oh, so good. You're supposed to stay in your seat and play till the plane reaches the terminal. (laughs) Craig's got the next one queued up ready to go and i think i know which one it is when they're doing the walk to the anakin skywalker terminal or whatever it is anakin skywalker memorial terminal yeah <laughs> robert patrick's <laughs> pretending to do some work or whatever and the, the swat team guys come in and they turn them to like put their hands up or whatever or say who yeah. they are and they're, they're being ignored and the, the swat guy goes hey what do i look like to you 
and Robert Patrick says, a sitting duck. Oh, yeah. And then blows him away. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that he planned that? And he's, he's saying to the other guys, hey, uh, I hope one of the guys says something like, hey, what do I look like to you? And I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> ben. The next one is where McLean's talking to Holly on the phone. And they decide to get a hotel room rather than going back to the kids. He says, like, let's get a hotel room, bottle of champagne. His voice goes really deep on champagne for some reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> champagne. I love any example of McLean stopping in the middle of, like, a firefight to say something funny that only he can hear. Like, when he's fighting the two guys in the baggage check, and he's like... What is this, a tag team? <laughs> Who's she talking to? Yeah, I've, I wrote down he's got no inner monologue, just constantly giving out to himself. <laughs> he doesn't, yeah, because every time, every time he's like backed into a corner, he's like, come on, John, what are you doing? Uh, just grab these poles, some rags, and this petrol. Give me that coat, go! <laughs> Do you think, like, when his alarm goes off in the morning, he's just like, God damn alarm, I was going off every morning. <laughs> Six thirty every day. Gotta turn it off with this finger. Now I'm getting out of bed. I'll go to the toilet, take a piss. <laughs> Colonel Stewart and his cronies hold Dulles and its aircraft to ransom until General Esperanza can land safely and be escorted to the plane they have waiting and make good their escape to the tropics. And just as a backup, they have the specialist army section sent to deal with incidents like this in on the gag too. Gaz, how do you rate the villainous scheme this week? I think in the context of the film... It's quite good. They nearly get away with it, don't they? It's just their bad luck mm. that McLean happens to be there more than anything else. If he hadn't have been travelling that day, they would have gotten away with it. But by mm. the same token, this isn't my plan. But why did they not just... Doesn't Esperanza basically just take over the plane in the end and fly it? Doesn't he overpower them somehow? Yeah, apparently Esperanza is a commercial pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they just do that and go to a private airfield instead of this public airfield? They didn't know he'd be able to escape, right? It's not. It wasn't nailed on. That wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was able to fool the young cadet or the young private. Yeah, into taking his chains off. Yeah. I guess the flip side of that question is, why didn't they just let the two guys who were piloting the plane land it and then kill them? Mm, true. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So I think that's what the plan was. The other guys were going to show up and they were going to kill whoever was on and then free Esperanza. So Esperanza's the one who fucks it all, really. Too eager to escape from his chair. Should have been a bit more patient. Yeah, he just shoots that guy in the head when they start trying to have a bit of a tussle, doesn't he? And all goes tits up there, doesn't it? Hothead. It's um, Franco Nero, isn't it? Yeah. Esperanza. Yeah. Django. The most recent film I saw him in was The Titular Pope in The Pope's Exorcist, which is a delightful film. Oh, is it good? It's very good. Carl told me to watch it. Yeah. It's a a lot of fun. A lot of fun films we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him my boss, the Pope. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Craig. Yeah, I think it's one of the better plans that we've had. I think the Die Hard plans are always clever, Mm. but I like the way that the 
diehard baddies especially they have this trope of anticipating what the police's response is going to be and getting ahead of it so obviously in the first one they know the fbi are going to come and they know they're going to shut off the power and that's what they want mm-hmm. hopefully we'll do diehard with avengers at some point so don't mm-hmm. go into that too heavily at the moment but mm-hmm. diehard 2 is equivalent of that is obviously grant's team uh showing up which i think is a really cool clever part of the plan so yeah again just all lieutenant mclean coming up the works yeah can't anticipate that can you can't expect the unexpected nope how the hell can the same shit happen to the same guy twice (laughs) right that's it or five or six times (laughs) (laughs) does he say that line in all the others just changing twice he should (laughs) unfortunately he doesn't but he definitely should how could the same shit have the same guy thrice thrice (laughs) right ben I'm in agreement with Craig and with what Gas said, really. It was a very clever plot. And in fact, when I was trying to put together my own plot, it was made it quite difficult because it was so well put together. Ooh. I think Esperanza actually didn't do himself any favours by being a, a bit overeager. And I think the only weakness you'd say probably was relying on him to be the commercial pilot because if he had been killed, I know he was the main aim of the mission, but if he had been killed or not freed, then how would they have escaped? Yeah. So... I'm going to give it 10 florets of South American marching broccoli. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Is that a narcotics reference? I'm right over my head. <laughs> no, no, it's a marching band reference. Turner and I are enthusiasts. Ah. We love parades. <laughs> As for me, yeah, I think it's the triple threat of bad guys, isn't it, really? In this, you've not just got Colonel Stewart and Esperanza, but then you've got the backup with Major Grant and his team. And you think, how on earth can anybody you know, with this level of expertise and professionalism come undone. But nobody accounts for John McLean and he is just unrelenting. So, yeah, I fully agree with your broccoli system scoring. I thought you'd have more, to be honest. I thought you'd be like 14, 16 florets. I'd like to know what's ahead of it, actually. We should do an episode of where we argue the case for more broccoli or less broccoli for some plans. That'd be funny. <laughs> Maybe that could be a solo one. To <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Cinemaster. Yeah. You lovely looking man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You just hear me go. (laughs) 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 Goodbye. (laughs) Despite fielding a team of former and current professionals more than capable of dealing with any situation, the one thing they couldn't plan for is John McLean, a man who refuses to accept any kind of defeat. And in the end, it's McLean that dices Major Grant and then char grills the other villains in a memorable fireball. Most definitely hotter than the tropics. But can we do any better? Ben, what have you got for us? The old colonel sat at the long counter, his lined face etched with the memories of a life hard fought. His hands, gnarled and spotted, rested beside a glass of aged scotch, the amber liquid glinting in the soft glow of the evening sun. His eyes, though softened by age, still held a spark of the fire that had once ignited the hearts of his men. He raised the glass to his lips, drained it, 
and began to wrap his knuckles against the hard wood. In my days as a mercenary, <laughs> a problem cropped up quite seriously. A man in a vest with a mouth full of sass. He was rugged and brave and a pain in my ass. Well, the boys got together and asked me quite plain. What shall we do about old John McLean? Stab him and shoot him and burn him to death. Choke him and hang him till he breathes his last breath. We'd fire if he ejected into the sky. We'd stay there a minute to make sure he died. Back at the church we'd mark all of his cards. Out on patrol we'd send four more guards. The boys got together and asked me quite plain. What shall we do about old John McLean? Stab him and shoot him and burn him to death. Choke him and hang him till he breathes his last breath. If somehow he'd make it through all our attacks, we'd have one last chance and no turning back. As he stands tall on the wing of the plane, I'd put a bullet between the eyes of old John McLean. The boys got together and cheered quite insane. We finally got rid of old John McLean. We stabbed him and shot him and burned him to death. We choked him and hanged him till he breathed his last breath. So, in a nutshell, your plan is don't not kill McLean. Do kill McLean. Yeah. So they had opportunities like when he's flying up in the air, they go, oh, lucky bastard and drive off. Just shoot him. It takes like one second. <laughs> and then instead of having one guy out on patrol, have four guys out on patrol outside the church. And then even if he gets past all them, the colonel had so many chances just to shoot him on the wing. And I know they say yeah. it's full of fuel. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. It's full of fuel. Shoot him in the head when he's standing up. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Although... I'm not a ballistics expert by any means, but when you're on the wing of a plane that's taking off and you fire a bullet in the direction the plane's taking off, is there some danger that the bullet will curve with like the air pressure and wind? Because the wing of a plane's aerodynamic, isn't it? If it was going at speed, then yeah, you might be right. But I think it was just moving very slowly on the runway, wasn't it, taxiing? So you'd argue that the bullet would overcome any of that. Right, yeah. I'd just like to point out as well that the colonel was old, living in like a tropical paradise in a bar. So it's already Got happened. It. So, so he, he has one, right? Yeah, yes. he has one. <laughs> so like, I get the principle behind uh, don't not kill John McClane, do kill John McClane. My only issue with it is, what's the name of this movie? Die Hard. Uh. Mm. Yeah. So it was already difficult to kill in the first one. And I would argue he's even harder to kill in the second one. Kind of his thing. I would argue that the title means die really hard. Like old habits die hard. Yeah, it's like, oh, you've, he's died really hard. So he's looking to die. <laughs> his old habit is trying to meet up with his wife at Christmas. But <laughs> terrorists intervene. Always. <laughs> Go knock that on the head. <laughs> right. Any more questions for Ben? Then, Craig, we shall have your palata next. Billy was a boy and he lived in the loft. He saw Margot Kidder, he said, take your knickers off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we vote now, please? <laughs> For next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Lieutenant John McLean. He's hard to kill. Notoriously. They should have called this film Dies Hard, am I right? His most effective adversary is Dick Thornburg, whose pirate broadcast causes a panic in the terminal that almost prevents McLean from reaching Esperanza's departing 747. This problem calls for an even bigger media frenzy. As soon as Grant's team arrives, Stewart alerts every major news outlet in the country about the situation at Dulles International Airport. He makes it clear that while all press are welcome, any newscopters attempting to enter the airspace above the runways will be shot down with extreme prejudice, or possibly with a rocket launcher of some kind, or like an anti-aircraft gun, in case anyone listening is worried that prejudice isn't an effective aircraft deterrent, no matter how extreme it may be. Stewart also makes it known that the hero of Nakatomi Plaza is mincing around somewhere. <laughs> with the airport now in total chaos, it's not long before McLean is ambushed by Tom Brokaw, Dan Rather and Connie Chung, to name but a few of the many high-profile news hounds seeking the exclusive interview with the high-profile Supercop. Miffed at missing out on the scoop, the still airborne Thornburg makes it known that McLean's wife Holly is on board one of the planes circling, low on fuel. The canny Stewart knows this is his opportunity. He redirects her flight to Washington National, giving McLean a scant 33 minutes to race across Washington to meet her. He doesn't have time to accompany Grant's men to the church, and while he's not optimistic about their superiority to Stewart's team, he really doesn't want to get divorced so he's motivated to haul ass to where she is. Grant assures McLean regarding Stuart, I taught him everything he knows, to which McLean muses that Stuart may have picked up some new tricks since then. After curling his lip incredulously, Grant finally lands on the best response and reassures McLean, I didn't say I taught him everything I know. Oh, yeah. With his fears assuaged by this comforting cliche, McLean contentedly leaves. With him out of the equation, the rest of the plan goes off without a hitch. What makes the colonel decide to ban helicopters from the airspace in this? In your version, he's aware that John McLean might hitch a ride. He thinks the way McLean thinks. Yeah, he knows that he could use a helicopter to get across, which indeed he does. Yeah, and it's just common sense, isn't it? While you're dealing with your own sort of hubris, cobbled together uh, traffic control, you don't want unknown flying vehicles in your airspace. Yeah, good point. Is McLean that big of a name for the media to descend upon him for interviews several years after yeah. the Nakatomi Plaza incident? Well, you see the reaction that he gets as soon as the reporter who's in the film sees him. Oh, you're John McLean, the hero of Nakatomi Plaza. And then when on the radio he says that his name is McLean, Colonel Stewart's like, oh, Lieutenant John McLean, the hero of Nakatomi Plaza. So it's yeah. implied that he's a big celebrity. Mm. Okay. Nobody in the airport actually stops him, though. No member of the public or anything like that. No. No, but you know what the public are like? Their memory is fickle at best. <laughs> well, I think what it is, is they've only seen him in a wife beater covered in blood and soot. Mm. So when he walks in wearing that fine sweater with the <laughs> collar, they're like... This guy looks familiar, but I can't quite place him. So they don't they don't say anything. Can't quite it's only when his name is revealed that they're like, McLean. I remember that name from the 
TV news, yeah. See, no, nobody can remember who won Britain's Got Talent three years ago. So that same no. logic is applied to right. John McLean and the Nakatomi Plaza because essentially people who win Britain's Got Talent have got the same amount of heroism as somebody who saves loads of people from terrorist bank slash bank robbers from a building. If they saw Stavros Flatley in the street and he wasn't dressed in his Zorba the Greek outfit, I probably wouldn't know him from Adam. But if yeah. somebody said, Hello. oh, aren't you Stavros Flatley? I'd go, oh, Stavros Flatley, the hero of Britain's Got Talent, whatever year it was. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon McLean did the talk show circuit? No way. He doesn't want to do the news. He's trying to keep his head down. You don't reckon Oprah got an exclusive? She wanted it, but he was having none of it. When Dan Rather and Connie Chung show up on your heels, you're trying to get away from them and you just can't. But then when you see that Holly's flight has been diverted to a what is now Reagan Airport, 33 minutes away, you're like, ah. Oh. I should probably stay here and stop these terrorists, but if I don't meet her, I know what she's like. Fucking, she'll change her name. She's waiting for her champagne. (laughs) (laughs) So he's he's like out there hailing a cab right away. Get me to Washington International, which will later be renamed Reagan, but not for another seven years. Good airport knowledge. Did you just have that or did you look it up? I I looked up where the nearest airport was, yeah. (laughs) Right. Any more questions? No, then... uh... Gals, will you dazzle and delight us, please? General Esperanza is on the plane, and as he sits in the pilot seat pressing beep-boop buttons, he and the gang are but a hair's breadth away from escaping with their lives. There's just one problem, of course, a young buck named John McLean. He isn't a deer, antelope, reindeer or rabbit, to the best of my knowledge, It's just an old expression. Although the character could have been birthed in a lab using animal DNA, the screenplay, rather sloppily, never (laughs) makes this clear one way or the other. (laughs) (laughs) And what is the movie villain's number one way of torturing slash getting rid of a plucky hero? Playing a game with them? No. You need the biggest, baddest henchman in town to do your dirty work. You've worked it out, haven't you? Oh, he's back. Onto the wing of the plane that McLean desperately clings to strides a colossus of henchmanery. You're one step ahead (laughs) of me, I can tell. The camera pans up and we slowly see this mythological Adonis is wearing shorts with a print that resembles multicoloured paint splatters on a white canvas. (laughs) A Jackson Pollock piece, almost. (laughs) Past his taut, sexy waist, we see that his t-shirt is that self-same print. A matching top and bottom (laughs) half outfit that speaks to the man's fierce intelligence. He does not want to waste the brain power on deciding what to wear. It's an all-in-one outfit for him. (laughs) Upon his gorgeous face sit a pair of bright blue framed glasses, and atop his head sits a baseball cap slung at a jaunty angle with the same Jackson (laughs) Pollock-style print as his T-shirt and shorts. My God, he's done the triple! He carries in his hand a pink-headed mallet with a smiley face drawn upon its head. Yes, Timmy Mallet is on the plane! (laughs) (laughs) He'd been hiding in the overhead baggage compartment, you see, and he brings with him one of those American boys, (laughs) the Army Major. He and McLean sit in chairs opposite one another, with Timmy stood in the middle. 
<laughs> Welcome to Mallet's Mallets. I'm your host, Timmy Mallet. The rules are simple. Mallet's Mallet is a word association game where you mustn't pause, hesitate, or repeat a word. Otherwise, you get a bash in the head like this, bonk. All like this, bonk. One for most bruises, losers. Look at each other and go, blair. Look at everyone at home and go, blair. Everyone look at them and go, blair. McLean shakes his head, laughs, and intones, whatever you say, pal. Here is your first word to start things off. Plain. McLean, fly, major, plane. Oh no, I mean, oh, how daft of me. <laughs> Timmy boinks him on the head lightly for his first infraction upon the sacred rules repetition. Here's your second word. Woman, McLean, man, major, smelly, McLean, dog, major, loving, McLean, holly, major, Christmas, <laughs> McLean. <laughs> McLean, die hard one, major, plaza, McLean, um... Timmy bunks John on the head saying, sorry, no hesitating. Now for your third word. Comedy, major, tragedy, McLean, ABBA, major, Eurovision, McLean, <laughs> pop, major, Pepsi, McLean, CM Punk, major, wrestling, McLean, Olympics, major, pommel horse. McLean <laughs> is absolutely stumped. He looks to his feet for a moment before looking back up to <laughs> Timmy Mallet and shaking his head in the time-honoured no gesture. That would be his final mistake, for Timmy has swapped his comedy mallet for a sledgehammer and swings it down with all of his might upon McLean's feet, causing him to hit the deck, then smashing his hands too. McLean has no way of stopping the mallet and Major as they chuck him into the engine, which magically still works afterwards, as in the film. <laughs> Timmy and the Major place their hands upon each other's shoulders and laugh. Oh my goodness, how they laugh for they have defeated New York slash LA's finest in a simple word association game and will now escape with General Esperanza piloting them to the tropics. Beautiful. And uh, Timmy Mallet's already dressed for it. He <laughs> came prepared. I only have one question. Yes. Will you roll out Timmy Mallet for Die Hard with a Vengeance as well? Absolutely. Good. <laughs> and, until you get all three points. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to go back and listen to my plan from Die Hard, you'll notice some quite funny differences between the two plans, despite them being the same plan, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> they play off each other quite nicely. It was a welcome return. <laughs> Why do we think that McLean would be no good at word association? <laughs> you only got one <laughs> straight back to the first word <laughs> uh, I don't know I think he's just a plain talking New York cop and <laughs> <laughs> association of words is slightly beyond his IQ level he's more of a, a grunter more of a moaner, a grumbler Oh, I don't agree with that. Like I said earlier, he's a Sherlock Holmes type. I disagree. <laughs> if anyone that could come up with just the facts, ma'am, yeah, that is can great. definitely right? win a game of Mallet's Mallet. That's killer wordplay. <laughs> Depends what you get, though, doesn't it? It does depend what you get, yeah. I suppose when you get to Pommel Horse, that's kind of outside his wheelhouse. He's probably thinking, the fuck is a Pommel Horse? It wouldn't. I get a bad hangover. <laughs> and then before he's finished that thought, his foot's been smashed. I wonder if, as he sat down with Mallet, he looked up and wondered how the same shit could happen to the same guy twice. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I died last year. <laughs> how did the colonel find Mallet? Is he on some kind of, like, database? He was stowed in the overhead package. Mm. 
Yeah. Colonel didn't even know he was there. No. <laughs> it just happened to be there. It's a thing that he does, just on the off chance. <laughs> just picks planes at random. Yeah, and just climbs in. Absolutely no agenda. The fact that he's killed McLean twice is just a coincidence. He wasn't there to do that. <laughs> Whoever had showed up was in for a bludgeoning. He's like, this is a stroke of luck to the camera and raises his glasses slightly. <laughs> 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 Okay, then. Time for my plan. As Foxtrot Michael One heads towards Dulles, Colonel Stewart tracks the progress of his plane on his equipment and puts his final phase into operation. He gives Trudeau a ring and tells him to get the 747 cargo ready for takeoff and have a pilot at the controls ready. Stuart also demands that McLean is taken into custody immediately, as he's caused too much trouble already. Any funny business and another jet will be crashed. With McLean now neutralised, Colonel Stuart heads down to Dulles and boards the 747 with his team and some additional cargo, nudge nudge wink wink. He orders the pilot start the engines and prepare to exit the hangar. As the general plane comes into land, he banks steeply and aims the aircraft directly at Dulles Airport building and ejects from the cockpit. The plane then smashes into the airport building and causes a huge fireball and loads of death and destruction, presumably McLean too. The whole airport and surrounding area is in chaos. As Esperanza is slowly parachuting down, he sees the 747 has left the hangar and aims himself towards the taxiway, radioing Stuart to let him know he's above them. As the plane taxis, a little ramp drops down and a few snowmobiles drop out and fall far enough behind it not to be affected by the efflux of the jet. As Esperanza get closer to the ground, he aims for a snowmobile, and guiding Colonel Stewart with, left a bit, right a bit, <laughs> plops himself down onto the back of the snowmobile driven by him, and gives him a little peck on the cheek to say, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the snowmobiles zoom off after the 747, and zoom onto the ramp and into the cargo buffet. Before you know it, they're on a beach, earning 20%. So it's basically, he just parachutes out the first plane onto the next plane. Yeah, well, no, yeah, he gets it back onto the back of a snowmobile, driven by Colonel Stewart, who he gives a peck on the cheek to. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Where's McLean during this? He's, he's been blown up in the airport building because he's been under arrest. He was taken into custody, wasn't he? Mm. For some reason. Yeah. Why did the Colonel decide to arrest McLean? Because he'd already killed some of his men and stuff. So he went, oh, ah, okay. John McLean, you bloody arsehole. <laughs> right. And he went, right, this is what you're going to do. You're not going to interfere with his plane, plus arrest John McLean and keep him out of the way. Then when Asperanza's plane's coming in, turns it towards the building, ejects, plane smashes into the building, blowing everything up, killing McLean and everybody. Places in chaos. Then Asperanza floats down onto the back of a snowmobile and into the cargo bay and away they fly. The snowmobiles work on concrete. Yeah. you never seen them. They go over everything. Do they? Yeah. Wow. Definitely seen them go over snow. I can guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got some balls though to do that, and you? Crash a plane into an airport building. <laughs> if any extreme terrorists are listening to this, these are not the views of the Diabolical Podcast. <laughs> Basically, they've whetted their appetites by crashing Windsor 114, haven't they? Yeah. So they've offed about 200 people there in a wanna. So really, to go yeah. from 200 people in one go to maybe 10,000 or I don't know, however many is in that airport building, makes no odds, does it? Makes no odds. 
does matter, does it? May as well. Could a snowmobile drive over custard? You know, like when people fill a paddling pool full of custard and it's so viscous on the surface you can walk on it. Could it drive over a paddling pool full of custard? Yes. Yes, it could. Ooh. Who's putting custard in a paddling pool? <laughs> I would. I'd, I'd be all over that. The only thing you custard. can't do, <laughs> yeah. just don't break. Because if you slow down while you're driving a, a skidoo or snowmobile over custard, that's when you sink. As long as you're going fast enough, you won't break the surface tension. <laughs> Some truly diabolical plans there, Peril Pals. In summary, we had Ben's old John McLean song, Craig's eliminating the air traffic and media frenzy at Dulles. Gaz's The Return of Timmy Mallet, and My Snowmobile Parachute Plan. But who's going to get the points this week, fellows? Craig, who have you voted for? Well, I thought they were all pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> Went for the one that made me laugh the most. Blair. It's Gaz. Hooray. Gaz, who have you voted for? I voted for the person who did the song, which was Ben's plan. Yes! <laughs> Good song. Weak plan. That's why I, why I looked at it. I mean, that's exactly why I did the song. <laughs> ben, who have you voted for? I've voted for the mallet. Gaz. The mallet, of Hooray. course. Yes, 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 yes. Two votes for spares. <laughs> <laughs> And I have voted for me. I voted for Ben. Oh, Ooh, it's a split week. There we go. Very good. Two apiece. With that absolutely earth shattering set of results, what has that done to the leaderboard, guys? We've got a bit of movement on top as. Uh... The wife says to me of an evening. (laughs) 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 Because with 19 points each in joint first place is Craig and myself. Jesus Christ. In in second place with 17 points is the Cinemaster. And in final place, but moving on up, with 13 points is Ben. Say he's M people. (laughs) I'm every woman. (laughs) Very nice. Well, how's about that then, folks? So, oh, sorry, no, cancel that. That's what Jimmy Savile used to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your guess cancelled if you keep quoting him. <laughs> now then, now then, let's move along. Well, 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 who would have thought it? My goodness, what a turn up for the books. This season just takes one drastic turn to the next, doesn't it? So there we go. Anyway, next week, Gaz has the pick of the film. So, Gaz, what have you decided to uh, put us through next week? <laughs> Well, next week is a very special day in the the good old Christian calendar as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, on Christmas Day. And so... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peace be upon him. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) We shall be watching 
a festive horror movie entitled Black Christmas, the original 1974 version. The original festive classic. (laughs) It's more festive than Quality Street, I'd say. Were those the ones that were suppositories? (laughs) Well, if they weren't, I had a bloody good go. It's going to pop a green triangle (laughs) at my bum. (laughs) My dad said that's how you had to enjoy them. The green triangles are no good for my chocolate starfish, I'll tell you. The thin Slim Toffee ones were my favourite because they hurt the least. Oh, Toffee Slim Jims. Goes up smooth. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. Don't forget to follow us so that you never miss an episode. You can also follow us across social media on at Diabolicalboard. So until next time, dear listeners, if this should be my last broadcast. Taser, taser, taser. Ah. <laughs> oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so, so delightful. delightful. But and since there's no place, place to go, go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping. stopping.